Hello, friends, and welcome to the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm your host, Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for all of you spiritual exiles out there looking for faith beyond the confines and the walls and the fences of institutional religion. This is episode number 25 of the podcast. And this episode is actually the second part of my conversation with ecclesiological innovator Jenny Williams. You can hear the first part of that interview in episode number 24, and that episode had a lot to do with how the kind of language we use around matters of justice can be a barrier to people and how new faith communities might surface around shared interests for various justice issues. In this episode, we'll talk a little bit about how we can start to create new paradigms of what faith communities could look like as we seek to break away from some of those models of the past that are beginning to fail us. So once again, please welcome to the Accidental Tomatoes podcast, my friend, Jenny Williams. What we're in right now as a church um, in the middle of pandemic nobody has a solution to this. This is not a problem. This is a condition that we're living in the midst of. No one knows what, there's no answer. So that's so freeing as a church because we just get to try. So let's, um, so I want to move a little bit, you know, kind of back towards this idea of a new ecclesiology. One of the things you and I've been talking about in the, the COVID era is, um, is how churches have been kind of forced to, you know, to change their paradigm a little bit, right? And and I think I've talked about this um, in some other contexts before, but like we've taken, I think Jonathan and I, Jonathan Deardor and I talked about this um, in the episode that he was on. Like we've taken this um, this content that we produce, right? Our basically our Sunday morning worship or our midweek Bible studies or whatever those things are. And we have out of necessity because we can't gather together safely in groups. We've, we've repurposed that content for a different medium, right? The previous medium was the church building, the sanctuary, whatever. And now we've got this online medium. So that might be zoom or Facebook live or YouTube or whatever people are using. Right. Um, and that's that's a necessary step, right? We've had to do that. But I one of the things I've noticed that's that's kind of frustrated me, and and you and I've had some conversations about this um, because of what we see, you know, as we kind of have that um, that view into church world, right, where we see what other people are doing and what what congregations are doing. I think a lot of it has been focused around like this is this is what we're going to do for now. We're going to try to do the same thing we've always done in a slightly different way um, so that we can continue to basically reach, connect the same people, right? Keep our community connected together. And and what's frustrated me is that I have, I have not seen enough, what I would consider to be more people or enough people saying, Okay, how can we how can we take the next step beyond that? Like how can we go beyond simply repurposing one set of content for a new medium and say what can we do completely differently? How do we break free of our our constraint to existing paradigms and create community in entirely new and different ways? 
that aren't restrained by, you know, here's, you know, a, a, a prayer, a hymn, a sermon, you know, and that that kind of formula, however we repurpose it. And some people, honestly, some of our colleagues are, and you're one of them, you know, are doing that really brilliantly, right? Um, in a way that's keeping people connected. Why, thank you. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, and, and one of the things, j- just to kind of, for a sidetrack is, you know, what you and our friend Zach Morton have done, you know, collaboratively across denominational lines um, has been really interesting for me to watch. It's like, honestly, it's one of the few... <laughs> like online worship services that I can bear to watch (laughs) (laughs) because sorry, everybody else. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, not the only one, but one of the few, Um, but, but because I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm watching people. It's like the example that I've used before is like when I was taking seminary classes online, um, I would get so frustrated at the professors who basically tried to take their classroom content and just, presented online. So your assignment would be, here's this YouTube video of me doing a PowerPoint presentation for the class. And they read you their slides, right? (laughs) You know what I mean? And honestly, that's a lot of what church online looks like to me now, right? Not all of it, you know, to be really fair, like I said, we have had some of some folks doing very creative things with that. But, but what's the next step? Like, what can we do and I like, you know, like what you've been talking about, about centering communities around issues of justice. How do we how do we move in that direction, which in a way is kind of deconstructing the old notions of church altogether, right? And reconstructing something else, right? Something, it's, it's still, I mean, we can still call it church. We can still call it ecclesiology. That's why I like this language we've been using about a new kind of ecclesiology, because it's still you know, the, the gathering of the people, maybe not in physical spaces, maybe in digital spaces. Um, but, but starting to break down some of those old paradigms. And I think honestly, as we look at some of the data coming in, people are just like, it was a novelty for a while, but people aren't tuning in. Like the reality is people are not tuning into a lot of that. Right. Um, so what can we do that's more compelling that creates communities, you know, in, in a better way? Yeah, first of all, I think it it requires identifying, acknowledging, and accepting the position that we're in. So um, some of the conversations that you and I, Joe, have had have, have borne out in my church life in, in leading my congregation. And um, as, as we've been thinking about looking forward here just for the next few months, well, and looking backward, you know, when this all hit, um, we, we all, all institutions uh, said, okay, uh, this is how it's going to go for two weeks. Yeah. And this is how it's going to go for four weeks. And now maybe we're making a decision for the next four weeks or six weeks or whatever. And, and I, I liken that to hitting the snooze button, right? We just keep Ooh, saying, Oh, I love okay, that. You know, yeah. I love yeah, that. Like we're just going to do this for a little while longer. And what this is, Dude, that is, metaphor is so deep. <laughs> <laughs> like the, hitting the snooze button on, man. We okay. I'm sorry. I'll shut up. Go ahead. <laughs> and for our next podcast. Oh my gosh. <laughs> talk about snooze. Um, but we're we are um, extending and delaying the period of time, the practices that we undertake in this period of time, as a substitute for what we used to do. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So what we're saying is, okay, for this next length of time, we're not going to do what we're going to use, what we used to do. And, and now we're going to do this thing in place of 
what we used to do. So we're not going to worship together in a building, um, but we're going to, you know, by and large, pastors are uh, recording themselves in that building, right? right? And still trying to have some semblance that that feels familiar enough um, to what we used to do before. Um, so I, I got to thinking after some of our conversations, what if we, we said... Um, and actually out of some conversations with our bishop as well, uh, it kind of came to me, what if we said, okay, for the next, for the next little while, we're just going to lean into this rather than thinking of this time as not doing what we've always done, which there's their, this phrase, right? Right, I'll come back to that. Not doing what we, the way we've always done it, but instead we say, okay, we're in this totally new place. So let's lean into this and let's use it as a time to experiment with, what could be right so our um our main leadership body decided um that we would go for uh three months we decided a a three-month period we're going to say through the end of october which is where that took that um we're we're going to think about what we can do instead of define ourselves in terms of what we can't do so i think that first step is identification of where we are um to kind of lean into that and to um, to undertake this adaptive thinking that you're talking about, you know, you mentioned earlier, right. um, we uh, was reading a book, um, Quietly Courageous, and the subtitle is Leading the Church in a Changing World. Uh, the author is Gil Rendell, where uh, the author talked about the difference between a problem and a condition and how you live with those things. Mm. So a problem is a known um, change that we see as negative that there is a known solution to. So a problem is the toilet breaks at the church and the solution is one of the trustees or a plumber comes in and fixes it, right? right? right. You know what needs to be done to rectify uh, this way that things are not operating. But uh, so that's a, a known solution. But a condition is something that you live with that does not have a known solution um, that does not have one answer that will fix it. So, for example, a person who receives a diagnosis of diabetes is going to live with this condition the rest of their lives. Right. They're going to find ways to live within that condition, change your diet, insulin usage, whatever. But that is always going to be there, right? Yeah. So, what we're in right now as a church um, in the middle of pandemic nobody has a solution to this. This is not a problem. This is a condition that we're living in the midst of. These are the parameters right now. We can't gather or we can gather, but we have to do all these gymnastics together, right? Masks and distancing and cleaning and and all of that kind of stuff. And even still, we can't sing and our kids can't be together and we can't have coffee. So I think that gathering is, you know, kind of impoverished. But um, so we're living in this condition. We're living in these parameters. No one knows what to, there's no answer right so that's so freeing as a church because we just get to try that is a beautiful way of looking at that i think because i think so often our human tendency is what have i lost and how do i regain what i've lost rather than seeing the it's it's the old um Folks used to talk about, you know, the yin-yang symbol um, of Eastern spirituality and how part of what that means or can be translated to is 
to see the opportunity in crisis, right? That crisis and opportunity mm-hmm. are always kind of balanced out. And right. But our tendency is to focus so deeply on the crisis. And I love the, the language of problems, right? The, the thing that has to be fixed. Well, that implies that there's a pattern or a blueprint for how to fix it, right? There's there's a way that we do this and, and we're not like, you know, so we're, and some of the language that, that we've been using in our circles is, you know, it's an adaptive challenge rather than, um, you know, sort of a, a task oriented challenge. Like, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's not a list of things to do, right? right? We have to, we have to constantly be assessing the situation and then creating ways to live with the situation, right? The condition, right? Mm-hmm. We have to constantly yeah. be about that business. Um, have you read Todd Bolsinger's book, Canoeing the Mountains? Yeah, I've read some of it. Yeah, I, I really love the analogy. He, he uses this analogy of the Lewis and Clark expedition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when they hit the rock, you know, they thought they were going to be able to ride their canoes all the way from the East Coast to the West Coast, basically. You know, they were going to mm-hmm. find this water route that was going to take them to the Pacific Ocean. And they get to the Rockies you know, thinking <laughs> they were going to climb a mountain and then get back in their canoe and go down, you know, a river on the other side. And, yeah. you know, they get to the, to the first kind of, <laughs> you know, range uh, of the Rockies and they look out and it's like, oh crap, these go on. You know, like we can't do what we were going to do. Right. And, and there's not a blueprint for how we do this. We have to create a new way to do it. And, and the other option is, well, let's give up and go back, which a lot of our churches, honestly, I think, that's where they are. Like we can't, we don't know how to navigate this. Um, and so we're just gonna, we're going to hang on as long as we can until we can go back and, and are not facing the reality that there's no back to go to really. Like we have to. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, (laughs) for a while there, maybe a couple of decades ago, uh, it was pretty edgy for a pastor to say, or a, some sort of faith leader to say, look, we, can, we can't do it the way we've always done it. Right. Or we right. see, quote unquote, the way we've always done it as a problem or an obstacle um, to moving forward as a church. So for a little while, it was edgy. Well, now it's almost trite, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, because because um, it has made its way into church communities and laity recognize, okay, we can't, uh, some laity recognize, a lot of laity recognize that we can't do it the way we've always done it. Okay, we've associated the way we've always done it, perhaps with Christendom, as you and Jonathan were talking mm-hmm. about. Um, you know, these sort of packed churches, doors are open, people just flock in, and, and we're uh, the church is increasingly comfortable with um, describing that as the way we've always done it and things need to change. Well, here we are in the middle of pandemic, and now the way we've always done it is worshiping in person. And so we have to say, we can't do it the way we've always done it. And that's maybe an obstacle to the development of the faith in our church community. So like, we don't get to define what the way we've always done it is, right? It has been defined for us. exactly, And we have to put our money where our mouths have been and say, we can't cling to the way we've always done it. Now, I don't want to freak people out and say, we'll never gather together in person to, you know, to worship, but it's not going to look the same. Right. So it's how does that, not gonna, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, it's simply not going to look the same and it's going to be augmented 
with a different way. And that augmentation actually will become the way for some people to engage in a, in a worshipful experience of God. So uh, we have no idea what this future is going to look like, but we can, we can try an experiment right now. Yeah. So what, what does that say? Oh, this is so interesting. <laughs> what does that say about our theology of worship? Right. That we have these practices that we've become very comfortable with that are the way we've always done it, that we assume, you know, is the way it's supposed to be. And now we can't do that. So, how, you know, what kind of a theology of worship can we start to lean into that can embrace these new paradigms that may have different yeah. for, right? So, so I think what we've done, I think maybe, maybe just to kind of unpack and explain it a little better. I think a lot of what we've done is we have called form, right? The forms of worship we have replaced that form for a good theology of worship. Does that make sense? That so we've substituted the practices for the the theology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? It does. And I disagree with that, but it does. Okay. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, our practices are so formative, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, our practices are formative. Uh, in ways that we don't even recognize when we do things over time and we do them with intention that prevents them from being wrote. Oh my gosh. Sometimes the Lord's prayer is wrote, wrote, but sometimes you, you think, Oh my gosh, I've got to forgive my neighbor you know, yeah, because yeah. God yeah, forgives yeah. me. Right. So it's formative in this very large sense, not in some sort of immediate gratification sense usually. But so I don't think that they're distinguishable, but, but I also I can see what you're saying, but those those practices, uh, practices period, are important to us. So I think constant innovation, like every week we're doing something different in worship, isn't helpful. Yes. For people, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So it's maybe just looking at what the new set of practices are, where that comes down and where I don't think um, particularly, um, well, hmm. I don't think a lot of people have solved is uh, then what do you do with the sacraments? Um, That's, that's a question mark for me. That's still out there. I I think we're, we're gaining on ways of solving it, but um, at least in our current context, we're not participating in online or virtual communion. So we have to look and say, okay, um, we cannot abandon communion. (laughs) You know, we can't not, but there is also historical precedent in the life of the church where for many years communion, Union was not held for X, Y, or Z reason. Um, So, I mean, that's a whole other rabbit trail we could go down. But um, I think the practices are part of how we understand worship. And so some of them we have to look at modifying. Some we need to work on establishing new ones. And it's going to take us a while to to even figure out what those are. And what I think to go back to your original question in this particular topic is, you know, how? Well, honestly, I really think that it's going to involve a much deeper knowledge of tech um, for leaders of faith communities and or the willingness to listen to people who know tech because I know different things can be done with tech. I know there are more interactive ways to engage people in worship or teaching when we use tech. I just don't, I've had to learn it on the fly sure, yeah. and so I'm not creative enough. So an example is I've been trying to wrap up our confirmation class and we've been meeting on Zoom twice a week, 45 minutes for several weeks. I know their attention span as middle schoolers and rising ninth graders probably isn't going to go beyond 45 minutes. I intentionally kind of cut it there. Um, 
I know there are ways I can probably make it engaging, but I don't know enough. So I can throw a poll up on Zoom, um, but those are those are small ways. I think there are much wider and larger ways um, to be church, leaning heavily on tech. I just know that I'm not creative enough yet to find those ways because I'm I don't know those tools as well yeah. as I would like. Yeah, but at least that, you're willing to learn, cool. right? That, and that's yeah. a lot of times that's the difference is a willingness to learn. And I think what you're talking about really is kind of what I'm saying is what I, I think what I'm saying is how do we how do we lean into our theology of worship, right? What do those practices mean rather than the exact form? Yes. Okay. I, I think that's there. that's yeah. probably a, maybe a yeah. better description of what I was trying to say. Yeah. So, like for instance, when I when I do like watch consume, which is another whole issue with like the way we're doing yeah. online churches because it's right. it's totally a consumer model. Not totally. I shouldn't say that. It's largely a consumer model. Like honestly, I, I cannot stand this, and this is very personal. Like I don't I don't pretend to impose this on anyone else, but when when the online church service that I'm watching breaks into singing a hymn, you know, like I'm done. Like I can't, I just can't even want now. A lot of that has to do with where I am right now in my own kind of spiritual journey. <laughs> but, and to be honest, like I'm, I'm not crazy about just singing old hymns in church. Like I love some of the theology in our old hymns. Th- those old tunes are like fingers on a blackboard to me. That's just, and that's very personal. It's, you know, I, I get that that's highly subjective, right? I don't, again, I don't impose that. On, I don't say that's what I expect other people to experience. Right. But, but it does make me think about, okay, how can we represent that great theology that's in some of our old hymns in other ways? Right. Can we, and, it, and a lot of times it's not just updating the tune, right? Cause some people do that. Like, there, there are artists that do that really brilliantly, and I'm all about that. That makes, to me, that makes them a little more approachable. But how can we repurpose that great theology in other ways, other forms altogether? Right? Can we bring it in? Can we, can we bring it into like some spoken word kind of art? Right? Can it go that way? Can it be expressed visually in some other way? Can we take, you know, and, and it goes to what you're saying, like how can we use tech? Can we, right. can we create? visual art through video, right? That, that somehow takes all of those, that great theology, that great worship theology and repurposes it in entirely new forms. Sure. <laughs> right. And then the other yeah. thing that, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you know, you've used in wineskins, uh, the work of the people, yeah, yeah. right. And these are highly experiential ways to connect with scripture or whatnot. So, I mean, I think that's one example of it. The other is that when we did this collaborative worship between, um, with, with Zach Morton, the local Presbyterian pastor and I, we did a, a six week series that you referred to earlier and then another four week <laughs> series later, cause we had a good time with it. Um, but one of the things that I loved about that was because Zach could edit, which I can't, <laughs> we get um, folks in our churches leading parts of the service that could be then edited into the whole service. So scripture reading or the Lord's prayer or whatever. And one of the things I love about that is when people would just sit there in their t-shirt and shorts and do that, Yeah. right? They weren't dressing up. They were just who they were in their context. And like their picture is off center in the background. It's like, hasn't been straightened recently. So it's like kind of cockeyed and the cat jumps up and walks in front of the camera on the phone. And I love all of that because it's so real. And so 
so I think we do have the opportunity to be real um, with one another in a way that we've just gotten in the habit of not doing in in church life. Um, so I, I think an, uh, another example is that one of the leaders of the Lord's Prayer, uh, the woman led her toddlers in repeating the Lord's Prayer line after line, um, and that was the way they led it in the service. So she didn't she just used this teaching it as a teaching moment with her toddlers, which of course everyone adored, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seeing the cute toddlers, but like she didn't think I have to teach my kids how to say this all at once. I'm just going to lead the Lord's prayer by re- lining it out, repeating it line after line. So, I mean, those are small ways, but but they are ways that allow us to connect with one another. And I think the the connection, particularly during this time period, is crucial. Isn't it interesting that it has taken it's taken us moving to a virtual form to to create some of that more authentic, more personal. Like to get real with yeah, one another. Right? The, yeah, yeah, that we, we right. couldn't do that when we were with each other right. in a room. But, but somehow this is, I don't know, democratized is maybe not the right word, but maybe it is, right? That, that it's just kind of, you know, it, it, it's kind of, Disperser. There's something about it. Yeah. It's sort of like that same phenomenon of, you know, what you do behind a keyboard, right? Like the people will say thing, types things on social media that they would never say otherwise. But also I've seen that same thing happen um, among teenagers and know of a number of teenagers who, after being out of school for a couple of months, but it was technically still the school year, like came out as queer on social media which was something they never would right. have done in a normal school year because they would be worried about going to school the next day yeah. and what people would do to their persons, their bodies, or how they would treat them. So they had a, a somehow that weird distance and anonymity also brings an intimacy. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't say that wholesale for the ways that we use tech and social media, but I think that possibility is there and maybe that's what we need yeah. to tap into. It's an, it's an element of, of it. Mm-hmm. you know, it's not, it's not the whole, but it's definitely an element. So, so one of the things that, I, that I've been thinking about with this whole like paradigm shift is really does go back to what, what I mentioned um, a few minutes ago is that like we have had a consumeristic model of church for a long, long time. And I think in a lot of ways, not in every way, because I think we've talked about some really important exceptions, but in a lot of ways, it, that's maybe exacerbated in the digital realm, right? Because, not, you know, at least before we were sitting with people, we were having conversations with people, we were singing together, we were engaged in these liturgical elements together and now we're watching them on a screen, right? And so, and and I assume that there are some people who, you know, they're they're downloading their bulletin and they are going along in their households, you know, with the with the Lord's Prayer or, or singing the hymns or whatever they do. But I suspect most folks are just sitting watching it on a screen. And and I think, and to me, that's one of the things that when we talk about paradigm shifts, you know, and and creating new models, right? New, new forms of ecclesiology. I think that's one of the opportunities that's before us. And I think some of the tech that you were talking about does create the opportunities for more experiential and, and more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? More engagement 
more dialogical, right? That we can, rather than sit and consume something that's being broadcast to me, you know, how can I create forms where we're engaged with one another, right? So like, for instance, one of the ways of doing that is like, if you're using Zoom, is like the breakout rooms function. Like you can, almost like you would do it at a, at a educational seminar, right? You would break people into table groups or, or whatever to, to discuss, you know, a piece of the overall teaching, right? So <clears throat> there are those kinds of things, you know, like what we do with new wineskins is, is entirely conversational, right? It's, we, that's why we do it on zoom instead of Facebook live. And, and like, I know there's a way that I could broadcast the zoom call on Facebook live, but you can't really, you can interact, right? I know Facebook live has that ability, like where you can comment and, and react to things, but it's not the same as being in dialogue. Like we do, when we do a zoom call, like people can unmute their mics and say, Hey, I've got something to say about that thing. Right. And so, and it's easy to look at that. And for a long time, even when we were meeting in purpose in person, I would look at that and say, well, that's, that's not really worship, but it is, I think it is like, I think it's a different form you know, you know, when I look at a broader theology of worship that says, how do we, how do we collectively engage with the divine? Doing that in dialogue and conversation is certainly a way of doing that, right? That it doesn't have to be this thing that I just kind of consume, uh, you know, a, a presentation that's made on a stage in front of me or now a video camera. Um, so that's, that's kind of one of the lines I've been thinking. I'm not even really sure I'm asking you, <laughs> you know, a question or, or anything in there that is just kind of like, you know, are, you know, how can we start to think of ways to move towards ways that engage, if we're going to have to be in this kind of virtual world. And I think one of the things you pointed out before is like, as, as you have different people like involved, like that's a step in that direction, right. You know, involving other people because you have, you know, an editor that can piece all that together. Like, so it becomes a little more experiential, but then, moving to the next step to like, how do we, you know, that's one of the things that the folks in the new wineskins community have said, like really emphatically is it's really important to us that we're in conversation with each other, that we're not just watching videos of things. Yeah. One of the things you've, uh, you've caused me to think of as our conversations always go, <laughs> we always welcome. learn stuff. Right. We learn what we think when we're talking to each other. But um, one of the things that you've made me think of, and I think the church needs to be asking in this time, is what are we asking people to do with their bodies? Okay, so yeah. when we gather, there's a materialization, materiality, um, a tangibility to some of what we do in worship. So look at all the look at all the senses that are involved. Okay, so um, we touch. Some people touch a hymnal. Mm. Okay, some people shake the hand of the person next to them, which is not something that we can do right now. Or we pass an offering plate, or we take in the body and blood of Christ mm, into ourselves. Yeah. We receive that from a person and we taste and we swallow, right? Or in baptism, we, we place water on the head of someone. Um, you know, we engage our voices and singing in some traditions, there's a lot of clapping or um, in other traditions that, that sort of cultivate the um, certain manifestations of the Holy Spirit. There's lots of physical movement, right? right yeah. So what yeah. if we then thought about that need for people to engage their bodies and their senses in worship? And I forgot one, which is, you know, traditions that have um, 
use incense, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah. there's a smell, a smell right. component there. Um, but what if we, I mean, something as simple as in an online worship service, invited people to stand, right? And really like paused a moment and waited for them to go, really, should I get out of my chair, yeah. you know, or whatever, should I put my coffee cup down, um, stand and sway with a song because no one can see them. Right. So they can't do that. They think they in all of us uptight white mainline Protestant churches, you know, we think that we can't do that or we really honestly can't clap on beat. Like, I mean, uh, you know, this is a great time to try doing some things with your body to involve your whole self in worship, because exactly what we were talking about, about the kingdom of God is that it's not just a spiritual thing. It's not just this, this thing that we hear and um, sort of ingest emotionally and all that kind of stuff. It's present on earth. And so our bodies are part of this world that we live in. So maybe what we're, we're overlooking is we're overlooking um, engaging our bodies in mm. worship. That's interesting too, because our instinct is that when we're, when we're doing virtual worship or, or virtual dialogue or whatever, we're basically restricting ourselves to to visual and auditory senses, right? That right. There's nothing tactile about it. There's nothing, right. you know, you can't smell anything. Did, did you ever bake bread in the building on like a community? Oh, Sunday? yeah. Oh, it's the best. Yeah, I almost right? mentioned that. Yeah. Like when you walk in and the bread's baking yeah, and you're like having to It does yeah. something to change that experience when you add, you know, some of those other sensory elements. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Like, are there ways that we could do that? One of the things I was thinking about as you were saying that was like, what if, you know, you you invited everybody to get like a certain kind of scented candle or something like that's a really simplistic thing and scented candles generally drive me crazy. So it's a horrible example personally (laughs) (laughs) because I've got like a really strong sense of smell. And a lot of times they really overwhelm me, but, (laughs) but what if you, what if you did something like that, like in your home, light this candle, right. And, and we're going to do some things, you know, visually and auditorially that are going to help enhance that, that um what you're smelling right you just that that kind of sensory experience right, right? Yeah. so those are i mean you know and again we're just a lot of what we're doing here is just kind of spitballing new ideas but i think that's kind of to kind of bring us back to the whole overall theme of this podcast is there there's there's just no end to the possibilities of how the church can be the church that gives us a lot of opportunities to break away from the things that we've done that have been so harmful to people over the years and create entirely new experiences and entirely new ways of creating entirely new communities. Right. Um, sure. So some of the things that we thought of is, is non-tech augmentation of our Sunday services. So again, this would be highly contextual dependent on weather, dependent on the um, you know, the, the rate of transmission and all of that of um, COVID. But uh, like we've thought about doing, Uh, What if we built a campfire on the lawn of our church and we had um, people sign up to come so you didn't max out and and families sat distantly from one another? Who doesn't love to watch flames flicker, right, and smell that wood and maybe cough on the smoke, (laughs) whatever, but like campfire does something to us. And so what if we had a kind of worship that was campfire or what if we decided to do um, drum circles Oh, right. Yeah. We did the, like a holy way where it was contemplative and and t- 
teach people, it would be a practice, teach people over a period of time how to be part of a drum circle. Because again, rhythm is going to be an obstacle for some people, but but it's such an, um, a great way when you're with 10 other people drumming that your mistakes don't really show up, right, you right. know, as much as if it was two people drumming. So, I mean, there are ways to have those things be very sacred and very experiential that, again, contextually, you could do distanced um, depending on your own local context. So I think um, I, I think we do need to be paying attention to whatever we can do um, in person. Even drive-in services meet some of that, sure, um, yeah, you know, with yeah. centers that people are doing. But yeah. Well, this has been really fascinating. And, and as usual, <laughs> we could go on for a lot longer, but <laughs> I know, I know um, our listeners are probably already thinking about how can I break this up <laughs> and listen to part of it now and part of it later? <laughs> so um, thanks for, thanks for engaging in the conversation. I know we've gone, we've covered a lot of territory and this just, just for our listeners benefit, this is what you and I do like on the regular <laughs> is we just have yeah. a lot of times it's, it's texting um, for hours or days at a time over a particular thing that wanders in and out of a lot of different topics. But we have these, these conversations together where, like one thing leads to another leads to another. And I think like, so I don't know how that's going to be for folks to listen to um, because we this have, was like surprisingly restrained to really like, for, all the listeners should know, like Joe was actually keeping us sort of on track. <laughs> so who knows where we would have gone oh, if he the, didn't have the rabbit, the rabbit holes that I have blocked <laughs> that normally <laughs> so you and I would just go dive into and right see down. where the heck that takes us. Um, but yeah, so, but I really appreciate it. We are coming kind of the end of the time here, but um, I, I cannot begin to tell you how much I appreciate you um, co-hosting this um, episode of the podcast and um, and just being a good friend and a good conversation partner and um, an encourager in so many ways. So thanks, Jenny, for being part of uh, of this episode of Accidental Tomatoes and maybe hopefully some more in the future. <laughs> well, thanks, Joe. It was wonderful. And I just appreciate you so much. Yeah. Um, just so just for the listener's benefit, I, I've been lobbying Jenny to get her to be like the permanent co-host of this podcast. And we just <laughs> we have serious scheduling issues that are not letting that happen right now. But if you'd like to hear that, um, shoot us an email or or comment on our Twitter or Facebook page like hashtag make Jenny a host. I don't know. <laughs> um, and we'll see what happens with that, but yeah, but, um, but thanks again. It's, it's been, it's been a ton of fun as always to be in conversation with you. Um, and I hope, I do hope we can do something again with all of this soon. Thanks Joe. So that's it. That's the end of uh, my conversation with Jenny about innovation and the way faith communities might begin to look as we shift our focus towards issues of justice and the relationships that grow out of that. It's also a wrap on season number one of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. And I really want to thank you for listening to this season. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope it has um, spurred some, some good thinking and some inspiration in you for your faith journey, wherever you are. We've already got a great lineup in store for season number two, which will launch on October the 30th, 2020. Um, we're working on a preview episode to come out between now and then. So stay tuned for details about that. As always, you can find Accidental Tomatoes online at accidentaltomatoes.com. And across the social media world, we are at Accidental Tomatoes. So be sure to find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Please like and follow our pages. That's where you can get 
the most recent updates of all of the really cool things that are going on in our community. You can find me, Joe Webb, at my website, joewebrights.com, where I blog once a week on issues of faith and justice. And on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, I am at Joe Webb Writes. If you have ideas or suggestions for future podcast topics, I would love to hear from you. Again, you can contact us on Facebook or Twitter, or you can email us at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. Those ratings and reviews go a long way to helping other people find us and to connect with the community and participate in our ongoing conversations. And if you'd like to support the work that we're doing at Accidental Tomatoes, you can donate through the Patreon platform, where your support helps us to offset some of the expenses of producing content for our community. Just go to patreon.com slash accidentaltomatoes to learn more. So until next time, and until next season, please keep on growing outside the fences and join us once again for another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast.